0: Welcome to the I-29 Moo U Dairy Podcast. I-29 Moo University is a consortium of land-grant universities in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska. This podcast covers timely news, information, and research for today's dairy industry.
1: Well, welcome everyone. My name is Jim Sulfer. I'm a University of Minnesota regional dairy educator and really fortunate today to be honored to have Mike Hutchins on our podcast I'm also joined by Fred Hall. He's an Iowa State University Dairy Field Specialist in Northwest Iowa. Welcome, Fred.
2: Thank you, Jim. We always enjoy the visits. Uh, We get to talk and and visit with some really uh, world leaders, and today uh, we've got Mike with us. So I'm excited to be a part of that.
1: Yeah, this is fun. It'll be, I've known Mike for many, many years. And I think it's, you know, for many of you that know Mike, probably know he's recently retired, but I think today we're going to talk a little bit about just Mike growing up. Many people know him as a professional and a speaker and an excellent speaker and a good researcher, but maybe it's a little bit nice to know where he came from and a little bit of his background on how he ended up where he is. So uh, welcome, Mike.
3: Well, thank you very much. It's my pleasure and honor to to be on your podcast here today, and uh, hopefully we'll share some ideas that will be of interest to uh, people that may want to listen to it, uh, folks.
1: Okay, Mike, so can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, a little bit about your experience? We, uh, we were all young once upon a time, um, and <laughs> so
3: we want to learn about when you were young, Mike. Well, thanks very much, Jim. Uh, basically, I grew up on a, a 70 cow. They were great Holstein uh, cows over near Green Bay, Wisconsin. So we are a, still a big Packer fan, even though they're not having a, a good year, nor is the Bears, but that's beside the point. And, and grew up there uh, with great cattle and showed at the county fair. And and of course, as many times in 4-H, you buy your first registered calf. Uh, that didn't work out so well. So then I decided to start showing our great cattle at at the county fair. So anyway, I spent basically uh, 19 years on a dairy farm in Wisconsin. At that time, back in the 60s, 70 cows were really a, a pretty pretty good-sized farm as far as that goes. Milking cows, uh, no pipeline. We got to carry all the milk. I can remember cans, but I never was big enough to lift the cans out of the coolers to put them on the milk truck. But we had one, the milk truck guy, he could pick up one can in each hand. That's a pretty good lift and set them on the truck as far as that goes. Anyway, uh, I had a chance to be in 4-H and FFA and all those important things when you're on a a farm with your parents and uh, my sister. And uh, that was kind of where the dairy interest really started as far as that goes.
1: So, Mike, was that a hard decision to go into dairy or what was your what was kind of your experience then and going? I assume you went to college. What was that kind of route that took you there?
3: Well, it's interesting. I I started my first year at an extension center, which is uh, right near home, because then I could still work on the farm at nights and on weekends, as far as that goes. And then I went down to Madison, it was good, and actually started to major in uh, Extension and uh, VOAG because I had a great VOAG teacher, Greg Beekler, and a great county agent there, uh, Jerry App, Somebody will recognize that name. And I thought, gee, these are pretty cool people. So I went there to study that. And then sure enough, the first year I was down there, my advisor decided to go to the Ohio State and I had to get a part-time job to count white blood cells in the basement of Dairy Science Lab. Uh, I think counting white blood cells is a cut above hoeing soybeans, but not much. Uh, looking at a microscope, <laughs> counting white blood cells. And there I met all these grad students and said, hey, that's pretty cool, you know, and if you can keep your grades up in college, you can then go to graduate school. So that's how I kind of got started in graduate school is at the University of Wisconsin.
2: So tell us who were some of the the old profs and the guys who were were there while you were getting started.
3: Yeah. Well, actually uh, Dr. Neil Jorgensen was there. Some uh, He spent a small time in South Dakota. So if there's any South Dakota people, they'll remember his name as far as that goes. Dr. L.H. Schultz was my advisor. Just a great guy as far as that goes. And uh, Fred, I had a chance to be on the University of Wisconsin Dairy Judging Team. And Dr. Dave Dixon was my coach. And he's kind of the, the coach of fame at, at the University of Wisconsin. Yep. He has a number of scholarships and programs named after him after he passed away, unfortunately. But but those are really mentors as far as that goes. And then when I was at the University of Wisconsin, I joined Alpha Gamma Rho. That's a national ag fraternity. And that was huge. Uh, a number of factors there. First of all, I, I met uh, Ron Schuler, who was a captain in the Army Reserve. And in those days, uh, we were all had draft numbers and <laughs> mine was 33 in Brown County, wow. Wisconsin. So I knew I was going to be drafted. So I joined the reserves. And spent six years in the Army Reserve, and, and that was an eye-opening experience, too. I don't think you only have to do it once, but it was it was pretty cool as far as that goes. I also was a house fellow for a year at the University of Wisconsin after I graduated my with my bachelor's degree, and that's where I met my wife, of all things. So Alpha Gamma Rho continues yet today to be an important part of my life with a lot of good fraternity brothers I met at that point.
1: Mike, when you were in the reserves, did you actually have to go, and did you leave college, or was that as a part of your college experience?
3: Uh, No, actually, after I graduated, I I, I joined it when I was working on my master's degree and uh, then uh, got to go to Fort Ord. Now, Fort Ord, California, that one has been retired as well. And they have a health issue out at that place too. But I was long gone before it became a health issue out there in California. Uh, Right after uh, in my second year in graduate school, my master's, I actually went to active duty for six months over at Fort Ord, then came back and fulfilled that. Uh, The good news back then, we had a huge, active army at that point. So in the reserves, we were not called up. I was in the infantry as a drill sergeant person. And that's the good news. The really good news is that I was the only person that could type 40 words a minute. So I became the Radar O'Reilly of our company. And so I got to uh, basically do two important things. They both started with P. One was called promotion and one was the payroll. So nobody messed with me. After the captain, I was the next guy in line that could control important things. So that I feel that. In fact, I spent about uh, two years in the reserve up in Minnesota when I went to the University of Minnesota to
1: become uh, to join their faculty as far as that goes. I picture the Sergeant Carter on Gomer Pyle as a drill sergeant just <laughs> yelling at people. And I I just can't picture you doing that. Uh, I couldn't either, You're going to know the truth, you know, and
3: amazing, our summer camp was always at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Now, let me tell you, if you've never been to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, you were in for a real treat, because you'd look in the sky in June and July and say, you know, it could rain, and sure enough, about half an hour later, we'd get a good half inch of rain, and of course, it was 95 degrees and 90 percent humidity, but unfortunately, I was stuck in an air-conditioned office typing my heart out. Meanwhile, those guys that were in my unit uh, they were out there training the troops, and the, the real bad news is <laughs> we caught what was the ninth week of of training uh, soldiers, and that meant the 25-mile speed march. And a lot of our guys weren't used to 25-mile speed, speed marches, but uh, anyway, it was, it was good to be the company clerk.
2: Do you remember the mosquitoes down there?
3: uh unfortunately or fortunately i didn't have a chance to experience that fred um, okay. so i'll take a, you a look on it if they have big mosquitoes but man i tell you northern minnesota jim we had some years when it was wet up there the uh, mosquitoes were as big as birds i tell you they, <laughs> they could really grow mosquitoes up in Roseau and northern parts of minnesota
1: yeah you're right
2: <laughs> once you got your degrees what was your first job where did you wind up
3: Yeah, I was very lucky. My mother almost died because there was only two jobs available at that time, the University of Kentucky and then the University of Minnesota. But actually, the University of Minnesota had filled their position, and the person who took it decided to stay with the private company he was with, and so they reopened it. So those are the only two jobs. And so I had my choice of those two positions, and so I joined the staff at the University of Minnesota on the St. Paul campus from 1971 to 1979, and that was an extension position, and then unfortunately, uh, uh, Dr. Garth Miller, some of you may or may not know him, he passed away. He was their coach. And so lo and behold, much like in the Army, I was the only person to ever judged dairy cattle on the staff at the University of Minnesota. So uh, the Harpin head said, uh, guess what, Mike, uh, we're going to make you the uh, the coach of the team. And, and that was an eye-opening experience. I did that for five years, and we had some tremendous students at the, at the University of Minnesota, and uh, we finally won the national contest. We also won uh, uh, the regional contest at, at Madison. We, we had good success doing it, although we had some tremendously talented young people who are now very active in
1: the dairy industry. Yeah, I talked to, run across, of course, a number of people that were on your judging teams, and they speak fondly of those memories. And I, I'm partly you being a coach, but probably partly I think we all you know, I judged in college, too, and you really do form close relationships because you go around, you practice together, and you go to contests together. So that's, I think many of us have good fond memories of that, but boy, it takes a lot of time from a coaching standpoint, just a lot of commitment.
3: Yeah. And Minnesota had a really built a really power program here. So literally for six weeks, literally you did no extension work. You were on, on the road with these young people. The classes didn't start until after Labor Day. So you basically had uh, three or four weeks that other schools were in session and we weren't. And so we'd be out on these dairy farms. And that was another plus, Jim, was visiting all these dairy farms in Wisconsin and Minnesota, and actually uh, meeting these dairy farmers, seeing their cattle and interacting with them. and And, and that was Uh, another important part not only for the students but even for myself
1: yeah so you were at minnesota and how many
3: extension
1: state staff were there at minnesota because i was in graduate school a number of years ago and there were just compared to what we have now i think i don't think people realize how big some of these universities these major dairy states their state extension staff was
3: yeah, we, we had four specialists there, uh, Ralph Wayne, who retired uh, about three or four years after I started and was one of my mentors, a young man by the name of Joe Collin, and Joe is still active uh, in, in Wisconsin doing some of his growing apples, of all things, and he was one of my mentors as well, and he really helped me out a great deal, Bill Mudge would have been the third one, and then myself, Would have been the fourth one, and I had the nutrition in area as far as that goes. So though we had four state specialists at that time. Jim, your position wasn't there, but uh, Francis Januska, some of you will recognize that name. Uh, He was one of my mentors. Russ Goody and Larry Tandy and Dave Chomey were also down the southern part of Minnesota, and they were really mentors for a young extension person. Because if you came in your county, And gave a meeting, you better do it right, and you better do what they wanted you to do. Otherwise, you would not be invited back. And in fact, all four of us decided that we would limit ourselves to 80 meetings a year in Minnesota. That was it. We're just saying "That's, that's enough. And so that meant that we were putting out well in excess of 200 county or regional meetings a year in the state of Minnesota. And of course, that's all changed. I'm sure, Uh, Jim, you can answer that, but certainly has changed down here in Illinois as well. But uh, one of my real mentors there was Don Otterby. And I don't know if any of you would recognize that name or not, but he was just a real savior. Because you know what? When you graduate from graduate school, you know everything about the TCA cycle and (laughs) And those kinds of things. Well, the farmers don't want to know about the TCA cycle. They want to know why did their cows stop eating? Or why don't they eat enough dry matter? Or why do they get milk fever? And as a young PhD, you know, we didn't have very many answers for that. And so I spent many hours in Don's office asking him, for his suggestions and guidelines as well, along with uh, John Donker, that was still on the faculty there as well.
1: Mike, you're right. It's just interesting. You know, I've worked in Extension a long time and the things you learn in graduate school aren't the questions you get on farms. So yeah, you're exactly right. So kind of walk through your career. Then, So then you were at Minnesota until 1979. And then what caused you to move over to Illinois?
3: Well, that's it, it's an interesting question. Uh, I joined the faculty in 1979. To be honest with you, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it was an, a dairy science department, and I loved dairy science departments. I grew up one in Wisconsin, and then I went to Minnesota and discovered it has a slightly different structure and focus. Than a dairy department so I said I'd like to come back to a dairy department Illinois had that a second of all they allowed me to lead the dairy extension team and that time we had uh four people here at Illinois believe it or not at that time uh on our our state uh, state team here one was that one was committed to DHI of those four individuals as well and and then there was uh Joe Conlin and Bob Appleman who I thought I could never get around these people you know it's, it's kind of like playing a football, Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. You know, your your chances of playing in the game is probably pretty limited. And so I said, you know, these guys are uh, senior to me by three, in some cases, 10 years. They're going to be there for another 10 or 15 years. And so my role there is going to be, uh, certainly, uh, you can figure that out where, where it all fits together. And already, as you already mentioned, the judging team took six weeks a year. And, you know, after about uh, five or six years of that, I'm saying, with a young family, boy, that's, that's a lot of time away. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I would go to Illinois.
1: And so your family, let's talk a little bit about that. So how, you know, were your children all born while you were in Minnesota? Or did they grow when you were in Illinois? Or how would that all kind (laughs) of transpose?
3: Well, that's kind of an interesting question. I had, well, uh, the time we got rolled into Minnesota, we had two children. They were basically one under one and one slightly over, over three. So we had two children born in Wisconsin. And we had uh, uh, two, uh, one child born in Minnesota and two in Illinois. So we have that uh, interesting spread out of family, uh, a lot of range, 18 years between the youngest and oldest as far as that goes. Uh, certainly extension is not a really good fit for family people because certainly when we had those 80 meetings in Minnesota and back in Illinois, we uh, one of the reasons they wanted was they wanted a program just like Minnesota in Illinois uh, because their dairy farmers said we don't see enough extension visibility either in the vet school nor from the animal science department would that would have been another reason and so it looked like if I could just bring part of the Illinois uh, Minnesota program to Illinois it would uh, it would be home run because uh, it was working really well in Minnesota when uh, I left and it still is working quite well in Minnesota also so certainly uh, the family has to adjust hopefully your wife can handle all those commitments that uh, parents have to do when you're traveling uh, three or four days uh, out of the, of the week, especially from basically mid-November to the middle of um, March or late March, as far as that goes. So that, that's a challenge.
1: So what kind of extension programs did you do in Illinois and both in Minnesota? Were they pretty much all meetings? Did you travel county to county? I mean, obviously, that was pre pre all this technology that we have. But what kind of programs did you find the most successful over your career?
3: Well, in Minnesota, the the county-based meetings were very, very powerful because you had to get known. Dairy farmers, uh, I think if they don't know you or they think they know you, then then your your opportunity to to provide information, to get calls from them, to give – they want inputs on certain decisions – they're making on a farm. So I think that's the, that was really important. In fact, in your county, Jim, Francis would have four meetings for me a year because the county was so big and there were so many dairy farmers up in, in uh, Stearns County. In fact, at one time, Stearns was the top 10 in the United States as, fun, as far as terms of, of, of dairy cattle, as far as that goes. When I went to Illinois, basically we went, uh, we, we went to more of what we call regional meetings and we would have 12, 12 dairy days. And that would take up pretty much the month of January, holding about three or four a week. We would spread them out a little bit because if we got a big blizzard or snowstorm, well, that would shut shut you down. And then you'd have to try to reschedule. And trust me, we never had good luck rescheduling meetings once we got out of the, the sink of, of, of the programs as far as that goes. So those area meetings were, were quite successful. They, we used our staff at that time. We would use uh, Dave Fisher some of you'll recognize that name Stan Smith unfortunately passed away we'd use some of our faculty like Don Otterby and, and uh, Charlie Young would also be parts of of those some of those dairy days as well and we developed a, a book that would contain about half of, of the talks the other half was all the new research that our dairy faculty would give to us and the goal and the goal was you have to write it so a dairy farmer would find some value in it so we'd have take-home messages. And in other words, we'd send some very, uh, here in Illinois, some very high-tech microbiologists, Marv Bryant, for example. And yet he could take his data and write it down to a point that a farmer says, yep, uh, he's uh, he's getting information that we can really use out there on the dairy farm. So that was kind of the program. And then we had a second part, which we called round tables. And that meant that uh, I, would, I would come out and uh, maybe spend 20 minutes saying, well, what's hot? What kind of phone calls are we getting? What are the questions that are being asked as far as that goes? And then we would go around the room and each farmer would get a chance to ask his or her question they want to ask. And we went around to each person. Some would take, oh, I'll take a bye. You can come back to me. Others had them written down and they would get their tablet out and they would ask those and those are really successful meetings. And we would have almost about 25 of those a year also at Illinois. And those, those would be county-based and controlled pretty much by by the farm. In some cases, they're veterinarian sponsored. In some cases, there were feed companies that would sponsor the luncheon as far as that goes. And uh, they, they were really quite successful.
2: Yeah, Fred, do you have any questions or comments for Mike? Well, I was just wondering, you know, while you were used to these live programs, what's your first recollection when you had a a digital or an online or some kind of technology program?
3: Yeah, it was kind of fun, Fred. Uh, here at Illinois, they have with online or educational program, primarily for VOAG instructors and county agents and like that. And so we, we offered a, a dairy uh, nutrition and management class, and that would be from six at night to ten, nine o'clock at night, and uh, so we would drive out to, uh, and if you ever went to Illinois, all our cows are located on the Wisconsin border or down near St. Louis, so that makes for a fairly long day, to, uh, doing your, your day job, and then uh, load up and drive uh, two hours, and in some cases, they would use a university plane and fly us up uh, to Freeport uh, to uh, give those uh, that training, and, and these would be 10 weeks, 10 weeks in, in length. And those people who took that thought they were really super because you could really build from week to week. And those people were coming back. Yes, they were paying something for that. The price was pretty pretty modest. But then Fred, uh, quickly they discovered that airplanes cost money and mileage cost money. Let's do it by technology. And so that's my first chance of using technology. I was very blessed to have, believe it or not, a, a dairy farmer f- uh, by the name of Jim Balz who came back here to the university uh, to work an advanced degree and uh, he became our IT person and he was delivering that and was very skilled with, with IT, took on a number of classes at our community college here. And was was quite good at it. And uh, that started us on the technology for teaching those online classes. And then luckily, we had uh, a young man by the name of Dick Wallace, a veterinarian who joined us now. And some of you will recognize that name because he's a he's one of the, the national regional managers here yeah, for Zoetis as far as that goes. So he was teaching three classes. I was teaching three classes online. And then the student could end up getting what we call a dairy certificate. And, and, and that has become more popular now here at the University of Illinois. Uh, it's not a degree, but it's a certificate of completion. And yes, those people would have to take a test. They would do their homework. They would turn in their, their, their requirements. And they'd have to attend class as far as that goes. And, and that was really great fun, <clears throat> and basically from 2000 to about 2015. That's the highlight of that. We had international people attending that. And uh, for some of them, that was a huge thing because with their company or their university or their job, this dairy certificate was a big deal. And then we had one meeting at uh, World Dairy Expo where we had a a one-day class for them if they wanted to come to at Hordes Dairyman Dairy. They have a really nice facility there. And we would use their dairy farm and also the classroom. And uh, that kind of was a capstone for some of those students.
2: And now did that develop into i know when i first started here in iowa uh, leo Timms had students that would be part of a, a program you uh, were doing was that the program or had it
3: changed into something different no you're exactly right leo Tims was one of our really big time supporters and he would typically have uh, 10 to 12 students enrolled in a class and he and his students would sit in every monday night uh, for uh, the uh, hour-long program, and that's what it was—one hour a week, one hour of homework, which they would turn into Leo, and then they would take their final exam online and send that—or not online, but they would—they—they uh, they would download that and uh, send it to me to be graded, as far as that goes. So uh, Leo was a big-time supporter of that, and you—you, uh, you, credit was given to the students by Iowa State, not Illinois, because immediately we tried to do that, and of course. All the politics. Well, who's going to get the money? Who's in charge? Who, <laughs> this and that. And we finally said, you know what, Leo? If you can uh, have your students sign up for a two-credit class, at Iowa State, then I will do all the grading, I will do all the lecturing, and all you have to do is award the credit. Texas A&M did the same thing. Uh, we had a very structured program there uh, with Mike, Dr. T- Mike Tomaszewski, and then we would have students from Michigan State, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Kentucky uh, was, was big, uh, so was Kansas, and it depends on the faculty member. If Mike Brooks was there, then we would get students. You know, and so a lot of those were the universities that didn't have this, what we would call a really applied dairy nutrition and management class. Uh, They had the very basic programs, they didn't have the very in depth ones for the grad students, but they didn't have this very plain one. And what's interesting, guys, we would have some of our beef students, graduate students, take our classes because they quickly learned that the jobs were going to be a ruminant nutrition. So you were expected to be able to discuss not only beef, uh, cow, calf, and, 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 and feedlots, but also dairy cattle would be part of the responsibility. In fact, we had a young lady that had, was in poultry, and she was from Honduras. And lo she took the class, and guess where her first job was? In Honduras, teaching dairy science in Honduras. Oh. And so needless to say, we shared a lot of our visuals with her. And uh, to this day, now she's the dean. And so now she's trying to uh, last uh, last year was trying to organize something uh, in Honduras to bring our program into into their country.
1: So, Mike, what do you what would you say? Looking back, you've had a long, pretty illustrious career in a couple of different places. Grew up in Wisconsin. What do you think is the most satisfying part of your career? You've stuck with the universities the entire time, didn't go into industry. Uh, Obviously, you must have enjoyed what you did. Sure seems like it. Uh, can you pick out some either highlights or what do you think is the most satisfying thing you ever did?
3: Wow, Th- that's a really neat question to to raise. Uh, I think the interact the interaction with dairy farmers was probably the most satisfying thing to see. Uh, they trusted us, and uh, that would include Fred, you, and uh, Jim, you as well. They they would actually trust you. And the most satisfying thing is to make a suggestion, recommendation, or guideline. And lo and behold, it would happen. It worked out. It happened like we thought it should based on the research we had. To get the job done. So I really enjoyed extension. Uh, And and to this day, I still do some extension work, a little different format, of course, but certainly really enjoy that that aspect of it as well. And, And what do they say? You never have to work a day in your life if you enjoy your job. So I'm not sure I've ever worked a day in my life as far as that goes. So and I found the university framework really enjoyable. First, it's very stable. So there were some times uh, at Minnesota, when I was the only assistant professor and there were big budget cuts, and I would go to my department head and say, Am I in trouble? And he said, Nope, you will not be left go. So there was some reassurance. Some of my other people work in agribusiness, and guess what? Uh, they may have their job restructured or basically gone. So a great deal of stability at the university. And then every week here at Illinois, somebody comes in to give a lecture. And so a great way to stay current. And I had a chance to sit on some graduate committees. And that's always fun to see the newest research and how these students pull it together. So certainly the land-grant colleges uh, historically has has been a, a good fit for me as well. And then finally, the the opportunity to work with Hordes Dairyman. And I just want to say that. Uh, it, it, it really was my my key to a lot of opportunities, and so uh, we were just uh, working with Steve Larson. He was a graduate student when I was a grad student at uh, Wisconsin, and then he became an editor, and so I had a chance to write with him, and as a result, a lot of their magazines go internationally, so that gave me a chance to be exposed internationally. My wife counted it up. I think we've been to 19 different countries in every Canadian province. Those are good times as well. And then uh, started when I retired, Steve Larson retired. And we both said, you know, this webinar thing is kind of interesting. So in 2011, we launched our first Hordes Dairyman Webinar. And this starts the the twelfth, or this ends the eleventh year. Continues here. Uh, Steve is retired. I moved out of some of the advisory part part of that as well. But th- those have been all fun experiences as well.
2: So as we uh, you used the word retired, so tell me what takes Mike Hutchinson's out of bed every morning.
3: Well. Uh you young bucks there, just think you don't have to get up at seven o'clock in the morning, I discovered. You know what? If you get up at eight o'clock, you can listen to the national news and find out who did what and where and stuff like that and have a cup of coffee and a, and your grapefruit and, and go from there. And and then I've been lucky. I still have a chance to write three or four columns a year for Horse Dairymen. I have been writing a couple of columns a year for Progressive Dairyman as well we also uh, believe it or not uh, about uh, 4 years ago my de- or 3 years ago my department head said you know mike we aren't making enough money on those classes you make all you're doing is covering costs we're going to no longer support Jim Bolts or the the class structure. And so I said, well, he made that decision uh, and it is what it is. We try to get this located in the four-state group, the tri-state group. We went to Penn State to look at it, Progressive uh, uh, Dairyman of Wisconsin looked at it, and yet nobody wanted to take that risk or that uh, uh, opportunity as far as that goes. But six months after retirement, here comes santa fe institute from brazil and said you know what we would like to develop an applied dairy feeding program and uh, would you be interested and uh, so fred guess what uh, every morning uh, we uh, there's time or every afternoon and i would challenge you when both of you decide to retire to decide what you're going to do with your time i mean you can watch the oprah rinford show only so long or cnn and, and so we developed a, a 52-week class, all new material. is all recorded. It's all translated into Portuguese from English. And uh, basically, uh, they launched that class um, uh, about uh, after we had the first third of the uh, modules recorded. And that meant every week... Fred, we had to record, uh, we had to stay ahead of the students. We had to stay ahead of the students with recording and editing as far as that goes. Uh, The good news now is, uh, of course, it's all done in English. It's not been translated to Portuguese, and I was surprised. Uh, The first year they offered the class, they had over 700 people in Brazil and other uh, Portuguese-speaking areas in the world taking that class. So they were really excited. Uh, They have now translated the new NRC into Portuguese. We got them in touch with those folks. They've taken our Horde's Dairyman Feeding Guide, translated that into Portuguese as far as that goes. But the other interesting thing, Fred, is because it's in English, it's now been also translated into Spanish. Uh, It's being translated as we speak into Italian. And they're hoping to eventually go to you know what country? Yeah, China. They would like to go to China. With it as well, because that's a huge marketplace for for dairy, and I don't think Chinese China will ever be self sufficient on dairy, but uh, they are also expanding their dairy industry, and of course they've got lots of lots of dollars to get the job done. And then there is a colleague that's uh, that came to the university, one of the universities speaks English in Iran, and guess what he's doing he's translating it into Iranian or, or into that language as well. So, Fred, that's a long answer. You won't ask another question, but that's what uh, that's what keeps me pretty busy, those those areas. Uh, I'm all done international traveling. I'm too old, and uh, this COVID thing is a huge risk. The last thing I need to be is stuck in Brazil for two months and not be able to pass a COVID test, and um, so uh, uh, we, we're not doing that anymore.
1: That must be really exciting. I mean, to look back, like, this is sort of the end of your career, but it's kind of nice to see that you were involved with something that's just been translated into multiple languages and, you know, it's fun. And of course you're kind of known wherever I travel when I've traveled internationally. Um, If I mention I know you, it seems like they have this special bond with you in many different countries around the world. So obviously you had mentioned you've traveled so much. Um, So with that, I'd really like to thank all the listeners for joining us on this I-29 Moo University Dairy Podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. Make sure, again, this will be posted and make sure that you check the episode notes. There may be some links to additional resources, and then, of course, we have information from our sponsors. So, any last comments, Fred or Mike?
3: Nope, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Thanks very much for the opportunity, and uh, have a great day.
1: Thanks.
0: We'd like to thank our 2022-23 annual I-29 sponsors, Iowa Corn Growers Association and T. Lay Dairy Video Sales. Learn more about Iowa Corn Growers Association at iowacorn.org. Learn more about T. Lay Dairy Video Sales at tlaydairyvideosales.com. I-29 Moo You is an equal opportunity provider for the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to extension.iastate.edu forward slash diversity forward slash e-x-t.